Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We'll take you back to Matthew chapter 16. How many of y'all were here last week? Just wave your hand at me. Last week was so powerful. Uh, so much revelation dropped. I mean, literally right here on this platform as I was ministering and what God was sharing and, and, and showing with me in front of you all. That's a little, that's a little uh, bit of vulnerability is to be getting a word as I'm giving a word. But hey, I'm going to leave it up to the Holy Spirit, man. I'm going to leave it up to him. I study, I prepare, I, I do my time in, in, in exercising, making sure I'm getting a word. I don't know how many times somebody comes to me after service and says, you know, are you spying out my house? You, you got me bugged or something? I said, I sure do. I got the best bugging system there is. It's called the Holy Spirit. And the connection's always strong. The signal's never weakened. Uh, he's always right on point, right on time. And so, man, if these words feel like they're right at you, uh, it ought to be. Uh, because I'm connected to him, and he's connected to you. And so this all ought to be resonating and, and uh, be, be resounded within your spirit. Uh, reading out of the New Living Translation, Jesus replied in verse 17, Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. It's the first time he mentions, Jesus mentions the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly, the legislative assembly that will carry forth God's kingdom in the earth. That's you and I. He says, I will build my church. And then he goes on to say this, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. It's interesting to me that the first time he mentions the church, he puts us in battle. The first time he mentions the church, he's got us uh, contending for and, and opposing forces that are trying to work in the earth. So this clues us into something, that we've got a mission. We've got a purpose. This church, when this word church here is not where you attend on Sunday morning from 1030 to 12 o'clock. This word church is not the building or the place that has a sign out front. It's not even, um, if I can go a little bit further, it's not even just a community of believers. This was literally a, a government operation that was going to bring heaven to this realm, bring the unseen to the scene, and you and I were going to do this, but we obviously according to this passage, are not going to do this without some sort of opposition standing in our way. We recognize bringing heaven to earth, that's not the easiest thing in the world, is it? That's not the easiest thing in the world, bringing the unseen to the seen, especially when the two sides are so opposite, right? I mean, when we pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, that might be hard for some of us to wrap our brain around, wrap our mind around, because what God's will in heaven is, is far from what we're seeing take place in this realm. I mean, it's not even close. 
the, the, the two sides are so far apart. It can seem like a, a, a drastic undertaking. It can seem like quite the goal, bringing heaven to your marriage, bringing heaven to your business, bringing heaven to your finances, bringing heaven to your community, bringing heaven to your, your home and your family. And, and, and right now, every time we, we know what heaven wants, we can immediately see what hell wants. Hell on earth looks a lot different than heaven on earth, doesn't it? So not only is this a drastic undertaking, bringing heaven to earth, but now we have to do it with opposing forces contending against us, trying to stop us. But at the end of the day, it's the mission that Jesus gave. It's the mission that the Messiah brought, not just to uh, come here so you can pray a prayer, die one day, and shoot up to heaven and be with him in glory, but that we can literally bring the essence of that realm here, the power of that realm here. That's the mission of the church. Then he goes on in verse 19 and he tells us how we're going to do this. He says, this is how you're going to transfer heaven to earth. This is, see, a transfer is necessary to see transformation. We won't have something transformed until we have something transferred. I'll say that again. You won't have something transformed until you have something transferred. You won't see transformation here until we see a transference of God's kingdom from an unseen realm to a seen realm. This is not optional, guys. This is not, well, you know, I, I didn't sign up for all that. Or, you know, I, I, you know so much of, of the gospel has been built upon this minimum requirements met. What's the minimum I need to do to enter in and, and, and to cross over into the things of God? This is why you, you've got to be in a church and you've got to be in a house that understands the kingdom of God and understands the essence of, of, of what this word is all about, what discipleship is all about, what growing up spiritually is all about, what being a Christian and a believer is really all about. It's not about exalting one over the other, but it's which one grasps the full capacity of what God's mission is in the earth. And although it might sound challenging and it might sound difficult, I would present to you this. It's not difficult at all, but we have dumbed it down so that it seems difficult. It seems more challenging because, yes, it's very easy to live life on the level of I prayed a prayer of salvation. He's now my he, he's now my savior. I believe he died on a cross. I believe he rose again. And that, you know, while I'm here on this planet, there's nothing I can really do about it. But one day when I die, I'll be with him. And that's the, that's the lowest level of Christianity. That's, that, that's, that's the most, most minimal requirements met. And so that it causes us to resist anything that does make a demand on our discipleship, that does make a demand on the level of responsibility you and I have in this earth. I want to tell you, it's a beautiful thing living with responsibility. I promise you. It's a beautiful thing understanding who you are in Christ, what you have at your disposal, what he's equipped you, empowered you with, the family you belong to, and what you have the capacity to do and change in this earth. It's really a beautiful thing. I promise you. It's, it's much better than just praying a prayer and then just waiting to depart this place and go on to be with the Lord. 
doesn't mean we have all the answers. It doesn't mean that, 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 that everything that we're going to see, we're going to see in totality. We know that we still live in a fallen realm. We still live in a fallen uh, 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 earth. This world is far from what God wants it to be. But you and I have transformational power within us. Coming into the kingdom was far more than just being along for the ride and sitting in the stands or even on the sidelines. This thing was about being on the playing field and God, how are you going to move through us? And that's why, see, revival, when we talk about revival, revival is not God all of a sudden showing up and doing something. I know it might seem like that. And so then when we're not in revival mode, then we think God's taking time off. That God is, you know, he's taking a break. He's on sabbatical. He's taking a vacation. No, God's always moving. Revival is man, you and I, men and women of God, coming to recognition and an awareness, a heightened state of awareness saying, God, what are you doing? And how are you using me? And how do you want to speak to me? How do, you, how do you want me to reach my manager? How do you want me to speak to my coworker? How do you, how, how do you want me to, to pray with that individual that, that their children, that their child is, is lost and dying, going to hell and, and running from God? How, how do you want me to come along? It, it, it's getting in the nitty gritty, the day in and day out and saying, God, how do you want me to be a part? And it's, it's putting ourselves right in the middle of God's plan. This is important because this assembly, this, this, this legislative assembly now, God has ushered the church. He's, he's given them a, a, a great mission with great responsibility. And then he gives them the instructions. Verse 19, here it is. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, the first thing we're going to ask is, okay, if I'm bringing heaven to earth, how am I accessing heaven? I've got to be able to access it, right? I've got to be able to have access to everything that, that is operating in heaven, the way God's will is in heaven, what God wants for us in heaven. I've got to have a way to access that and bring it here. I've got to have a way. Again, you can't have transformation without first having a transfer. So I've got to be able to access that to be able to get it here. And so the very next phrase he says is, I'm going to give you the keys because keys denote access. Whatever you have the keys to, you have access to. If I were to, to, to give you the key to my house and, and send you there, if someone were to stop you along the way or as you're getting in, uh, uh, tell you, uh, hey, what are you doing? That's Pastor Mark and Ashley's house. You can't go up in there. What do you think you're doing? All you got to do is present the key and say, I've been given the key. Not only is it access it, but it's also the authority to access it. That, that's all you need. And, and, and the guy trying to stop you, he, he, he might have a weapon. He might be bigger and stronger than you. But that key holds the power that, that stops his strength, stops his power, stops him in his track and says, oh, okay. So when the devil tries to, tries to keep you from accessing heaven, you just show up the key and you say, I've been given the keys. 
I've got the key to access that healing. I've got the key to access that, that, that joy. I've got the key to access that power. I've got the key to operate because he's given me the keys. I can access it and not only access it, but transfer it. And then as I transfer it, I transform what's around me. So the very first thing he gives after he says, I'm going to build my church and all the power of hell will not be able to, it will not be able to stop. It will not be able to stand in your way. There's no power on this earth or that the enemy can present that can stop you as long as you're in your assignment. And then I'm going to give you keys. Those keys will allow you, he goes on to say, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I want to read this to you in the Amplified. Let's start with verse 18 in the Amplified. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. Also notice here that Jesus has taken personal responsibility for building his church. He's not left that up to any man. He's not left that up to any person. Now, we here, pastors and leaders and, and, and church leaders, you know, we play a role in that. But at the end of the day, I have to follow what his assignment is for the church. I can't go rogue on this thing. And I can't say, well, Anchor Faith Church, you know, I don't, we, we don't really like that scripture. We don't wanna, really want to go that route. We don't believe in this. No, no, no. It is my job to align my view and align my purpose and align my mission with his. Jesus, this is your church. I will build my church. This church belongs to you. How would you have me directed? How would you have me? What do you want us to know? What do you want us to discover? What do you want us to walk in? What do you want us to reveal to the earth? What do you want us doing? And I've got to keep us on that line. And I've got to keep us directed along that path. I can't go rogue with this thing. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or death will not overpower it by preventing the resurrection of the Christ. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys. There it is, authority. You see that in the Amplified. The authority of the kingdom of heaven. This is to the church now. I didn't sign up for that. You didn't have to. It comes with the, it comes with the assignment. <laughs> I didn't ask for the authority. That's part of it. You know, we make this statement a lot. How many of you noticed that when you gave your life over to Christ and when you made that decision, it felt like you got a bullseye on your back? You got a target on your back. Now, you know, all of a sudden things are just, that's because the enemy knows more about your assignment than you do. That's because he knows the, the power you contain. He knows the keys that you've been given. And guess what? He wants those keys. He wants those keys. He wants access to heaven. He wants to, he wants to uh, lock some things up, and he wants to hide some things from some people, and he wants to operate in a position of authority in this earth, and he's operating in illegal authority. See, the Bible tells us that the enemy, he, he's the God of this world, right? But not legally. So now we need a legal entity, the church, to stop the illegal activity of the enemy. That's what you and I are here to do. I'm just trying to make this simple. I'm just trying to make this plain so we can recognize, man, I'm not just here to go along with it and say, I've got a role to play. I've got a purpose to play. He says, I will give you the keys or the authority of the kingdom of heaven. And here we go. Whatever you bind. Now, the Amplified breaks it down. Forbid 
Here it is. Declare. Everyone say declare. Declare to be improper and unlawful. On earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, permit. And here's the word again. Declare. Everyone say declare. Declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Recognize here that heaven is responding to what you and I are doing in the earth. Now, this does not mean that we get to declare and say and confess and speak and and do whatever we want and God has to do whatever we say or what we want. The very first thing that has to take place is the alignment of values or the alignment of purpose. God is not obligated to fulfill my word. He's obligated to fulfill his word in my mouth. I'll say that again. God is not obligated to fulfill my word. But he does obligate himself to fulfill his word in my mouth as I speak it. We saw the word declare. So by declaring, I can declare something unlawful and I can declare something lawful. By declaration, I can forbid something. By declaration, I can allow something. Okay, so this is more than just optimistic words. We're covering this. This is more than just saying things disconnected from our heart. This is more than just uh, trying to, to speak optimistically. This is connecting with the values of heaven. This is connecting my heart with the Father's heart. You know, if you go down a few more verses, we find an interesting conversation between Jesus and Peter. Jesus is communicating what is about to happen to him, the, 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 the uh, uh, you know, being handed over to his enemy. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be forsaken. He's going to be ultimately crucified. But then on the third day, he'll rise again. And Peter gets in his face, gets in his way rebukes Jesus and says, may it never be. Now, if it was just simply the power of our words speaking something and causing things to come to pass, then Peter would have gotten what he wanted. But Jesus makes an interesting statement following that. He says, you don't have your interest on the things of God, but the things of man. Ultimately, what Jesus says is, you don't even understand the mission That my father is after. You don't understand. Again, like I said, this isn't about avoiding trial. This is about how we get through it. And Jesus was recognizing with the perspective of heaven, these things have to happen ultimately so we gain the victory over the enemy. And this is how it's going to come to pass. And so it's not about using my words to get God to do what I want. It's about using my words to get God to do what he wants through me. I think it was John Wesley that they've credited this quote to. It seems as if God can do nothing in the earth unless a man pray. And essentially, unless man gets involved. If man will get engaged in the process, watch what I'll do in the earth. Watch the exploits that will take place. I mean, I would, print, I would present to you this. 
that since Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God hasn't done anything in the earth without using you and I, mankind. Yes, the great sovereign creator of the universe, almighty God. And in, in one verse, he says, let them rule, let them have dominion. Let the earth and the world and everything that takes place in this realm be subjected to them through you and I. So when he wants a Red Sea parted, he's looking for a Moses to hold up a staff. When he wants to slay Goliath, he's looking for a shepherd boy that will respond and say, I'll be the next king. When he's looking to slay the, the evil Midianite army, he finds a Gideon. Even as scared and even as scrawny and even as weak as he was, he said, you're a valiant warrior. And he presents him and says, take 300 men with you. We'll, do, we'll, we'll make this thing happen. It's not done by man's power. It's done with man's obedience. He's just looking for an obedient person. He's just looking for an obedient man and woman of God. I, you know, I, we, we've heard this before. One do not underestimate one small act of obedience. Because that's all he's looking for to now demonstrate his great power, his mighty power. Just through the obedient acts of a man that can't have children that's 75 years old, a shepherd boy out in a field, a scared uh, a, a farmer at the bottom of a wine press. Guys, recognize this. Even when God wanted to save the world, he had to put himself in flesh through Jesus. God has always made a demand on you and I, man and woman, to bring his realm here. And he's still doing it today. And now he says, I'm going to do it through my entity, the church. I'm going to do it through this, this group of, of believers and those that have given their lives to me as Lord, yielded themselves to me and say, whatever you want to do in this realm, I'll help you transfer it. I'll take care of the transaction. I'll access heaven with the keys of the kingdom you've given to me, and I will distribute that in the earth. It's the power he's given us. And that power is exercised by our words. If there are no words, there is no authority. If there are no words... See, I, I believe that's part of why, it is why, the enemy wants to silence the church. The enemy wants to silence the church. And I'm not going to get off on political stuff and, and all the different things that are happening in our world. There are obvious tactics and obvious things that are taking place to, to weaken. If he can't silence it, he'll weaken its voice and, and, and level out the influence. But I mean it this way. I, I think that there are a lot of Christians that the enemy has scared into not using their voice. I think I said this a few weeks ago. It's time for the church to get its voice back. And we're not talking about just catchy phrases on, you know, that we come up with every year that rhyme with the number of the year. I'm talking about literally how are we declaring your kingdom come and your will be done. How are we forbidding with our mouths what should not be here? And how are we permitting with our mouths what should be seen in this realm? How are we doing that? 
In Mark chapter 11, Jesus gives us another reference to show us the power of our words. We've seen that we are the entity that God is using to distribute heaven to earth. It's literally why you and I exist. The way we're going to do that is because we're going to forbid or permit by our mouths, by our declaration, what should be or what should not be. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. And so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says, everyone say says, to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, everyone say says, will be done. He will have Whatever he says, everyone say says. So notice that God has given you and I, Jesus is speaking to the authority of our words. Now again, confession and declaration, we're not just talking about mouthing off. We're not just talking about saying stuff, just rambling or or even just repeating stuff that we've heard. He connects here the mouth to the heart. You can put it this way. You can't be in faith if your mouth isn't in faith. And if your heart is in faith, on the flip side, if your heart is in faith, then your mouth will be in faith. We saw last week, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They're connected, the mouth and the heart. So we saw last week that you've got to get this thing to drop in your spirit first. Because, and I think we said this last week, both God and the devil gain access into your life through the words you speak. Both God and the devil gain access into your life, gain authority. They're both leaning on the words you're speaking. Which way is he going to go? What is she going to say? God's saying, is she going to agree with my word and what I've already said? And the enemy's saying, is he just going to say how it already is or how bad it could be? They're both sitting on ready saying which words are going to come out because those are the words we're going to use. And so you can use words that give the enemy access to your life or we can use words that will give God access to our life. But those words have to be attached by faith. We saw last week in Numbers chapter 13 when the 12 spies come to the edge of the promised land, right? We've got uh, 10 of them that come back with a bad report. Report, remember, the report, the words that they gave to the community. They showed them fruit. Man, this was so incredible when God revealed this to us. He showed, they literally showed them bountiful fruit, fruit so large that it had to be carried on a pole between two grown men. That's some fruit. I mean, if I, you would think, if I saw that, we're going. Let's take this land. Let's go, man. It's everything God promised us. It's everything we believed it was. It's everything we believed it could be. It's everything that God told us it would be. But then the negative report came in behind that. But there's giants. But it's well fortified. But it, it swallows it and its inhabitants. But this, this, this is going to be too much for us. We, we, we're just grasshoppers in the side of these guys. We can't do this thing. And they talked themselves out of 
the very thing God had been for thousands of years talking them into. It's not just the report, it's which report, which report will you agree with? Which report will you align with? So we had 10 spies that aligned with a negative report. Guess what? The enemy got on top of that and said, now I've got access. Two spies went with God's report, and we know later on Joshua and Caleb are given entrance into that promised land. Why? Because God obligated and God had to attach himself to their words and said, I will honor your words. Now, there was a 40-year delay, and there's an entire generation that didn't get to go in. That's why words are so important, not just for you, but who else is being limited access into the things of God because our mouth can't get in alignment with his word. That's a scary level of responsibility. If that doesn't bring conviction, some of us this morning look like we need a little bit of conviction. If that doesn't bring some conviction, I don't know what does, that my mouth could lock something up for an entire generation. I don't want Camden to have to suffer from something I'm saying. I'll never break this rage uh, habit. I'll never get rid of this addiction. This is, this is something he's going to have. This is just in the family. It's in the genes. We say these things that we don't even recognize we're giving authority to one party or the other. So we, gotta, we have to take inventory of what's being sown into the heart. We saw this last week. What is sown in the heart is stored in the heart. What is stored in the heart is spoken with the mouth. And what is spoken with the mouth is seen in reality. We got to make that connection. And so he says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart. Notice the value of not just saying something, but believing something. I got to get it in my heart. I got to believe this in my heart. Be removed and be cast to sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. That's the key right there. Believe that the things that he says will be done. Believe that what you say will come to pass. But Pastor Mark, it, it just, this, this doesn't look like a, a situation that can turn around. Believe what you say will come to pass. In essence, if you can't move your mouth, you can't move your mountain. If you can't move your mouth, you can't move your mountain. It starts with the belief in the heart, but then I've got to start saying it and saying it against what it looks like, against the contrary, against what the situation's telling me it's going to turn out to be. I've got to believe it against all odds. I've got to believe it when there's, this is the furthest thing from the truth. I've got to believe that this thing can come to pass. And then I've got to align my mouth with that. I've got to speak. And when you do, God sits on that and says, now I can move. Now, because they believed in their heart and they've confessed with their mouth, I can now move and do something with that. In the same manner, the enemy is doing the same thing. If you believe in your heart, this is the end. It's never going to turn around. I've, my best days are behind me. I'm never going to see healing in my body. I'm not going to see restoration in my If you believe those things, eventually it starts coming out of your mouth. And now the enemy's having his way with that. Now the enemy's doing 
We, we, we get what we say. We get what we say. He says, if you'll believe that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Again, whatever is not whatever. Whatever according to God's word. You want to see the whatevers of God's word taking place in your life, you've got to start moving your mouth. We've got to start aligning our heart with his values, moving our mouth in alignment with our heart, and then God will get on on that thing and say, now we'll see this thing come to pass. It's not your power that's presenting it. See, that's what people, that's where the confusion comes in is people, oh, yeah, if you just say it, it will happen. No, if you say it, then it, it motivates God to move on your behalf. It obligates God to move on your behalf. Again, not to get what I want, to get what he wants. Look at this in the Passion Translation. Verse 22, Jesus replied, let the faith of God be in you. Meaning the God kind of faith or the faith that God uses. Did you know God is a faith God? God uses faith. God speaks by faith. He said, let there be light. And he didn't say it after light showed up. He brought light into into formation by speaking the words when there was no light. Let the dry land bring forth uh, uh, green grass. Let the dry land bring forth animals. Let the sea bring forth its animals. Let the sky, the firmament, bring forth its sun and its moon and its star. He spoke these things into existence, then creates you and I in his image and in his likeness. There's an operational, functional uh, method that is, that is uh, uh, in principle here that says how I work is how you will work. Do you remember one of the first acts that God did with Adam? First assignments he gave Adam? He brought him animals, and what did he tell him to do? (laughs) And the Bible says that whatever Adam called them, they were. Now, if that doesn't show you, the power of your words. God loves to name stuff, because once you name it, then it gives an expectation of what it's supposed to do. That's why he named Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That's why he named, he changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, which meant father of many nations. He, He names stuff, he calls it. With words, because that gives the power. See, we live in a planet, in a realm that responds to words. We live in a realm that responds to the words of those that have their hearts aligned with the mission of God and understand the power that their words possess. We, lo- we live in a world-ruled planet. So let the faith of God be in you. Just as God speaks and he expects it to be, he expects us to speak and he expects it to be. Verse 23, listen to the truth. I speak to you. Whoever says to this mountain with great faith and does not doubt, mountain be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea, 
and believes that what he says will happen, guess what? It will be done. This is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer. Be convinced that you have received it and it will be yours. Man, it's time for some faith-filled prayers from the church, faith-filled declarations from the church, faith-filled words coming out of our mouth, not speaking doom and gloom, not speaking calamity, not speaking, come on, we've spent the last 24 months talking about, complaining about how bad it is and everything's going wrong and, and Lord, just just bring us up out of here. And guess what? God, that's a prayer God's not going to answer because it doesn't align with his mission. Jesus prayed a prayer that Obviously, you believe Jesus prayed perfect prayers. Do you believe that God answers Jesus' prayers? When Jesus prayed for the church, he said this, I do not pray that you take them out of this world. Some of y'all looking at me like, Pastor Mark has done lost it. He came to die on the cross for my sins and give me access to heaven. No, 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 no. Go look it up. John chapter 17. I do not pray that you take them out of this world but I pray that you keep them from the evil one. Now, that's Jesus' prayer. So if you're praying to get up out of here and Jesus is praying for you to stay, which one of those you think is getting answered? <laughs> you're, you're contending with the one that knows how to pray some prayers. You're contending with the one that, has, that knows the mission of the church better than anybody because he's the head of the church. He's the great shepherd. So I think, you know what? It's, it's a waste of time to pray to get up out of here. I'm going to just align with Jesus and say, hey, if you need me here, then just show me what to do. Just show me what to do while I'm here. Amen. Amen. I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask. Man, that's amazing. Go to Matthew chapter 8. No, we're not going to spend our time complaining and talking about how bad it is. And let me tell you right now, you can talk to God about how bad it is. He already knows. He knows how good it should be. God knows good. So he can recognize bad when he sees it. And he probably knows this thing's actually far off worse than you think. And then his response is, that's why I've got you there. That's why I need you there. That's why you can't pray to get up out of this thing. You got to say, what's my assignment? What's my purpose? Direct me while I'm here. Come on, we're not living empty lives anymore. Worthless lives, just nine to five, hating what you do, but you do it anyways getting in traffic that you hate and going to work with people that you hate and working for a boss that you hate and doing stuff that you hate and getting off too late and going in too early and then going to bed and doing all the same thing the next day. Hey, that's tiresome. That, nobody wants that. There's no purpose in that. But when you recognize I can bring the kingdom of God in every sector of life and every level of influence he's given me, man, that gives you some worth. It gives you some value. So in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5, we see this story. We're familiar with it, but let's see if we can break it down, pull out some nuggets, and go eat some lunch. Amen? 
Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Problem. Right? There's the problem. I've got a servant at home. He's, on, he, he's about to die. He's at the point of death. And he's reaching out to Jesus. I, you know, I, I tell, um, um, I heard a pastor say this the other night, and, and I, I've used it too. You know, people that don't want to, that don't believe in health or don't believe in divine healing, I just say, well, you just hadn't been sick enough. But, but when you get really sick, you're going to start believing. And you're going to find the person that was talking all that healing stuff all the time and I need you now. Amen. And this is a Roman centurion. This is not a godly man. Godly man. This is a pagan man. This is a, he's on the outside looking in. This is, this is not uh, uh, someone that's a believer and is following. He's like, man, what, a, what mighty exploit. This, this is a man that belongs to a group of people that would eventually drive nails and swords and, uh, and, and crowns of thorns into his body. Okay, so we're talking about farly, you know, uh, uh, far opposed. But he's at a point of desperation. He's at a point where he needs God to move on his behalf. So he comes pleading with him. Desperation. My servant is lying at home paralyzed. Jesus' response, verse 7, I will come and heal him. I will come. And heal him because at every other instance to this point, anybody that Jesus has healed has required a, a physical contact laying on of hands and seeing them recover. We know that Jesus went to multiple towns, right? It said he went through all the towns and villages laying hands on the sick and healing all kinds of disease and healing all kinds of sickness. Not just a couple kinds, not 98% of the kinds, all kinds. All means all. That simple. All of it. So Jesus said, all right, let's go. Show me the way. Where do you live? Let's go take care of it. And the centurion answered and said, see, we talk about a, a kingdom. We, we, we talk about a Christianity where we do minimum, where we meet minimum requirements. This centurion is not settling for that. I don't know if the desperation was so uh, we don't have time for you to make it back there. It'll be too late. The journey will be too long. I, I don't know what his motivation was, but the, the, the centurion's response in verse 8 says, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. So maybe it's just the very fact that he recognizes I'm far from you. And I can't have you come that close. I'm nothing, I'm nothing like you in that manner. But look at this. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. Only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. He says, only speak a word. And up until this point, Jesus had never just healed somebody or moved in a demonstration in that manner with just a word. He spoke to a storm, peace, be still, and it what? It stomped. It was calm. 
He spoke to a fig tree. Cursed a fig tree with what? With words. And it died. It showed up the next day. It was withered up and died. But never for healing, never in this demonstration, never in this way. And so Jesus is stopped in his tracks. Verse 9, the centurion gives us some insight. Why in the world would he believe that just a mere word would alter his servant's situation? Verse 9, for I also, everyone say also, am a man under Authority. So even though he started out by saying, I'm not worthy to come under your roof, you and I, we're, we're, we're nothing alike. In this manner, he says, but in this way, you and I are very much alike. And I understand how things work. This is the first individual that saw Jesus as a kingdom representative and not a religious representative. There's the difference. As long as we see Jesus as a religious figure, then he's nothing more than Buddha and Muhammad and, and, and all the others that every religion has. But Jesus is not just a religious figure. He is a kingdom figure. He is a king. He reigns and he rules and he came as a king to this planet to distribute the kingdom once again. And so this centurion being of go a government official, being of, uh, of regal uh, uh, um, design and understanding how chain of command and, and words work and being under authority means I can be in authority, recognizes this, you and I operate the same way. You and I function the same way. He says, you also or I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, recognizing first I must be submitted to authority, then what's under me must be submitted to me. Notice he makes that connection. He doesn't say I also am a man in authority. He says I'm a man under authority first, because in authority only works if you're under authority. I said in authority only works if you're under authority. So first, he gets to the source of the thing. He says, because you're submitted to a, and he doesn't even know who that authority is. He just recognizes it. You can see it. You can see chain of command in people. And you don't even know what authority they, they yield themselves to. It's just evident. You're not just down here doing whatever you want. There's somebody you're listening to. There's somebody that's calling the shots. There's somebody that you're submitted under. And because of that, Everything you do on this planet works. Everything you do in this realm, it, it, it does whatever you say. And so I know this. If you'll just speak the word only, my servant will be healed. If you'll speak the word only, I know my servant will be healed. He says, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And so he recognizes healing is actually your servant. And if you'll send healing, it'll go. Why? Because whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. 
So he's convinced of this fact that Jesus only has to utter a word. And by the authority that is that Jesus possesses and the authority that Jesus is under, it's going to happen. He's that convinced of it. I mean, this isn't even, he's not even saying, and just come to my house with me in case it doesn't work. Like, there's no backup plan. Speak the word and my servant will be healed. That's it. And he's never even seen this demonstrated in that way before. I mean, come on, I'm trying to help you see the, the level of faith, the, the, get a glimpse of this man's boldness and this man's faith. And it's all because he understands kingdom authority. He understood Matthew chapter 16 before Jesus even said Matthew chapter 16. This is eight chapters before that. Are you hearing me? In Matthew 16, he said, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden, and whatever you allow on earth will be allowed. That's eight chapters later. We haven't even done that yet. And this centurion's he's eight chapters ahead. And Jesus is like, I'm not even at that part of the book yet. Hold on. <laughs> You're giving away my secret, man. I'm not even there yet. This is amazing. Because he understands the kingdom authority on Jesus' life. That just as I command a servant to go, and he goes, and command a servant to come, and he comes, when you command healing to go, it'll go. You, you, I, you have keys to something. And in another realm, if you'll, transfer, if you'll transfer the healing, you'll transform his body. I know you'll do it. He's watched him work long enough to recognize there's something different about this guy. And not that he prays to God all the time. I mean, if you remember, Jesus told Peter that the revelation that you are Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that came from spiritual revelation, not natural information. So this man doesn't even know that this is Jesus, the Son of God. He's just recognizing the, the function and the operation of Jesus' ministry. When you say it, it happens. If you command it, it will be done. And off of that alone, he says, just send the word only. Speak a word only. And I know my servant will be healed. What stops Jesus dead in his tracks? Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. I mean, that, that's the kind of faith you want. That Jesus, even Jesus marvels at it. How do you make God say, wow, faith. Come on, this is boldness. This is, this is not just hoping and wishing and, and, and having backup plans. This is boldly saying, I believe your word, and I know it will come to pass. And God's on his throne just saying, wow, they get it. That's what Jesus is saying is, this guy gets it. He said, I have not found such great faith. Notice that just by the centurion's words and the belief in his heart, faith was released. 
See, when you, you got to understand when you're speaking words in alignment with God's word, you believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth, faith is released into the situation. And when, there, when faith shows up, God shows up. When faith shows up, God moves on your behalf. We've said this before, that faith doesn't create something. Faith moves something. Everything you need, God has already answered it, solved it, planned it out, purposed it, directed it. He's already got it. Now the goal is I've got to get it from an unseen realm in heaven down to the seen realm on the earth. So faith moves it from the unseen to the seen. When I need healing in my body, God's not up there manufacturing some healing real quick. It's done. By his stripes you were healed, 1 Peter 2, 24, past tense. Now I just got to access it, transfer it, and then transform the sickness into healing. You see that? So this was a release of faith on the behalf of the Roman centurion. I'm talking a full trust in and reliance upon If you will speak the word, my servant will be healed. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east to west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will will be weeping and gnashing. In essence, what he's saying is what this man's operating in, not very many will access this and understand this. And I think we're seeing that played out today. God wants us to increase our faith and increase what we can believe in him to do. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. Now watch this. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. So I would ask this question. Was it Jesus' word that healed the servant? Or was it the centurion's word that healed his servant? Now Jesus has the power. It was just the Roman centurion's belief in the power that accessed it and drew on it and made it happen. I remind you of the one with the issue of blood. She came pressing in the crowd. And she, if you read it, it says, she said to herself, if I will touch the hem. She didn't think it. She said it with her words. If I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. She was made well immediately. Jesus stops the crowd. Who touched my clothes? Power was drawn out of me. And Jesus responds to her and says what? Daughter, your faith has made you well. He didn't say my power. Has made you well. Now, ultimately, we know it's his power, but God is trying to help us get deeper than that. It's my power that works on behalf of those who believe. The Bible says signs and wonders will follow the preaching and teaching of the word. Signs and wonders will follow those who what? Believe. So it's not just God's power that transforms. It's us believing in, opening our mouth, agreeing with, aligning with, and then drawing on that power that transforms it from heaven to earth. Was it Jesus' word that healed the centurion? Or was it the centurion's servant? Or was it the centurion's word to Jesus saying, speak only a word and my servant will be healed? 
I would submit to you that it was both that was necessary. It was the power in Jesus. But it was also the faith and the belief system of the centurion. That drew on that power and supplied heaven power in an earthly realm. Transferred it from an unseen realm to a seen realm. As you have believed, basically it's the same thing. Your faith has made him whole. And his servant was healed that same hour. It's time to master our words. It's time to become masters of our mouths. It's time to recognize that the authority and the management and the governance that we have been assigned, as Matthew chapter 16 shows us, that it's, Im it's imperative that the church open its mouth. I believe we can push back darkness with our mouth. You heard the songs we sang this morning, faith songs. Not, I hope to see a victory. I wish I would see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see it. I will see it. I see it now. I see a victory now. But my marriage is shambles. See a victory now. But my bank account's broken. But I see a victory now. But there's still sickness in my body. See a victory now. See a victory now. And then you declare that boldly, prophetically, with your mouth, calling those things to be not as though they were. Agreeing with the report that God has given and not with what I'm seeing. Worship team, if you come. This is the essence of our authority. It's impossible. I, I've never been able to exercise. Well, I, I take that back. I can to a degree. But it's the words that give the power. I can give Camden a look. It'll stop him dead in his tracks. But it's only because he's heard my voice at some point. He's heard my voice and he knows the authority behind it. Guys, we're not going to think our way into a great year. We're going to speak our way into a great year. Declare our way into a great year. Declare those things that are broken to be restored. Declare those things that are lost to be found. Declare those things that are dark to be brought to light. Declare those things that are sick to be made whole. Declare those things that are negative to be made positive. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.